Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of film. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2009 movie, Moon. So Moon takes place somewhere in the future, and it's... With the intro, it's... Supposedly there was an energy crisis... And, but it's been solved because of helium-3 mining on the moon. And this helium-3 gives us all the energy we need. And, a, and basically there's this company that has somebody go there for basically do a three-year tour by themselves. And they have to operate all these machines, which do all the mining. And the main character is Sam Bell. And when we first meet him, it looks like he's just about at the end of his three-year tour. You can tell it's he's ready to go home. He's you know looking at old pictures and old videos of his wife and daughter, and but then he starts seeing some hallucinations. And when he's going out on one of the rovers, he sees a hallucination and it gets him into an accident. And then he wakes up. And as he wakes up, he starts noticing some strange things. As he wakes up, he sees the robot Gertie having a live feed interaction with somebody and it's strange because they've he's been complaining that he can't do live feeds he just he can't do a back and forth he has to record his conversation and send it and they send it back and he notices that and he notices that he's that the robot gertie is not letting him go certain places so at so at one point he decides to take matters into his own hands he heads back to where the accident site and then he finds a crashed rover and he opens up and there's a body there and it's the man who looks just like him right and so then he realizes that there is cloning going on but he doesn't know which one is which he says he's the original clone but the clone who wakes up says no i'm the original yeah. and as they do sort of investigations they figure out until they talk with gertie they realize none of them are originals the real sam bell left quite some time ago because they try to reach out to the daughter the daughter who we his visions of is just newborn she's an infant but when we he does the video call she's like 15 yeah and the and key the, thing there is i'm sorry the key thing there is that the hallucination is of the 15 year old daughter right yeah and realizes that and so they and that but then they realize that the company is sending some people over and they notice well they can't find us there because we're going to both be dead so they one of as we see the one who was in the accident is who's been near three years is getting you know becoming coming sicker he's coughing up a lot of blood so he decides to let the other guy who's just been woken up just to head out and go to earth to basically expose this and while so they basically set up this plan to make sure that it doesn't arouse suspicion, he goes, the sick one goes back to where he crashed. And, and while he's doing that, the other guy escapes to Earth. And then as he escapes to Earth, we see just little radio reports and news bits of the, him testifying about what's really going on. And that's that's basically the whole plot of the movie. Yeah, and it, it's, it's really, it's really a, 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 that's a good summation. Um, the key thing is, as you're watching it, obviously you've just kind of given an omniscient view of it, and we kind of know how it's going to end. But um, they do some interesting little tricks with this film to uh, confuse you as much as Sam, uh, the new Sam, is confused. Yeah. Um, because um, uh, if you notice, when after after I'll call him the old Sam, the one that's about done with his three-year stint, after he 
uh, crashes in that rover. And these rovers, are they use these to go out and basically do maintenance on these mining machines. And uh, so he crashes that rover, and then it fades to black, and then it comes back up. You're back in the uh, you're back in the in the base, and it's Sam. We don't know yet. Uh, we take we make the assumption that it's old Sam that has been somehow recovered from the crash and brought back. But uh, as we discover later on, this is in fact a new clone of Sam. It has been brought up from underneath the base. There's a big storage area there, and they've got. It looks to be hundreds of clones of Sam down there. Um, and so we're, we're as confused as new Sam is for a while because he sees the old, he sees this, uh, uh, uh old Sam, right? He, he, he actually gets, for some reason, gets a little suspicious that Gertie's not wanting him to leave the station, right? Or go outside as it were. So he, he cooks up a little, he cuts a cord, so that uh, he can cook up a plausible excuse to go outside because he suspects something and he he goes into one of those rovers and goes out and finds the old Sam and brings him back. And uh, at about that point, we realize what's going on. And what I find to be very interesting also in this film is how they treat the AI entity, Gertie, you think Gertie is going to be another HAL 9000. Yeah. And uh, that brings me to a point I really like about this film. It does a lot of homage to several films, classic science fiction films, and that's one of them, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So you think he's going to be a HAL. Um, And you even see him talking directly with those people back on Earth with the Saran Corporation. Um uh, allegedly, this is not possible, and New Sam catches him doing it, and he kind of cooks up a story. So you think, man, he, he he's hell he's hell nine thousand, yeah. but as the story progresses, um, you can see he is either programmed to or actually feels some sort of a compassion, and he feels like it it's necessary for him per, to protect Sam. So that ends up being it doesn't matter what Sam it is. I just have to protect, as it were, all the Sams I'm dealing with. And he ultimately conspires with the two Sams to uh, allow them to uh, send one back and expose what's been going on. He even allows to have himself what would, in, in, in a way, be killed. In a way. He, 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 he says, Sam, you know what you can do? You can wipe out my memory banks if you want. That way they won't be able to catch us in our conspiracy uh for ai that's that's near suicide i would think wiping out all memories um so i really like that twist too yeah. gertie ends up being a good guy <laughs> yeah, it, it, it reminds me a bit of the isaac asimov's three laws of robotics and the main law i mean the three laws one of the main one is a robot shall always obey an order given by a human and the other two is a robot shall not kill a human and the other third one is a robot shall always protect itself unless in like it's always about whether it confers with the other three laws, but he has almost yes. like that's the first law of robotics. You have to obey your order given by a human. Yeah. And as long as he's not killing anybody or putting the robot itself in harm, he is 
it's okay. That's the what the robot is programmed. Like, I have to obey this. I have to do this because he's a human. And I wonder is yeah. that is it more just because it's in his programming to obey his human, or is it because he actually feels bad for Sam and what's been going on? Yeah, um, and that's a, it's left purposefully ambiguous. I think in the flat uh, tonality of uh, uh, Gertie, uh, a la uh, Hal, yes. d- doesn't clue you in and to whether that's the case or not is he as it were like fully fledged artificial intelligence to the point where he's a person with a moral sense or not it, it may be that he's just carrying out that program and, and maybe the programmers didn't think long and hard enough about it they just put something in essentially like the command protect sam and he may be just carrying that or, out that order thinking you know, in the best a, of his ability, best of his ability, more or less in an automatic way, without a kind of moral sense. Mm-hmm. Um, that's possible, but like I said, it's a little ambiguous. And and the, to the person that wants to kind of root for the uh, more positive spin or happy ending, you, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd like to think Gertie is actually a person and with a moral sense and realizing that uh, the way Sam's been treated isn't right. And you even see with as far as emotions go, it's like when you think of how you just think of, you know, that little circle with the red glowing dot. But in this one, he has a screen with the like an emote like he is like modern face emoji. It's like when he he has a smiley face at certain points. He has a concerned face at some points. He has a frowny face at some points. Yeah, even a confused face. And then he has a neutral face. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. never an angry face. So you never you're never going to see him take out his anger or aggression. on Yes. And you know what's very interesting? Another point in there getting back to kind of. Uh, the programming and Asimov's rules is there's a key point there when uh, I think it's old Sam is really starting to n- know something is up and he wants to g- go back into video records, right? And so he's trying to get into these video records that are about him, about Sam at the keyboard and it will not take the password and it will not take the password and it will not take the password. And then there's a shot over his shoulder him busily doing this at the keyboard and in the in the in the background you see one of Gertie's arms coming mm-hmm. and I know first time I watched this I'm thinking this isn't going to turn out good for Sam because I had that Hal 9000 yeah. kind of read to it um, but he reaches over and he puts the proper password in for Sam and Sam's able to see that he's one in a series of Sams every one of which uh, deteriorated at roughly the three-year mark uh, some of them are unshaven, like we see Sam at the beginning of the film. Some aren't. But they're all given this story that, you know, there's this pod. You need to go lay down in this pod. You're going to be put into kind of a cryogenic state. And you're going to take your trip back home. So relax, enjoy, lay back. And then as soon as he lays back and the thing closes, zap. He's incinerated. And um, you see the automation uh, vacuums out the uh, ash. So it's very interesting that Gertie does this. Once again, it raises that question. Is it because it's just kind of an oversight and programming on the part of this corporation? Or does he, in fact, have compassion for Sam? Yeah, and when you're talking about how they have um, the clones have a three-year lifespan, that gets into another sci-fi influence on this movie, which is Blade Runner. Because you can see these clones are treated exactly like the replicants are in Blade Runner. Even though these are humans, these aren't robots, they are still treated like the replicants in Blade Runner. The replicants are used off-world for lots of 
various demanding physical labor. And this isn't like physical labor, but it's a job yeah. regular uh, regular humans, non-clones, don't want to do because it's three years of isolation and you're not going to get a lot of people wanting to do that. So they say, well, we'll just get clones and we're going to program them to think like they're the original of the person so they won't rouse any suspicions. And then, you know, they, they program a failsafe like in Blade Runner, a three limited lifespan. So once they do their duties, they can j just die off and not have to worry about them and then they'll get rid of them. Yeah. And um, apparently they're also able to carry over from original Sam um, skills and abilities that original Sam learned, presumably at his three-year stint. Um, now, the question arises with this film, uh, uh, maybe more so than with Blade Runner, uh, it, it, there's a certain implausibility with all this because I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking like a corporation. I'm thinking like a mining corporation that's um, uh, doing this large-scale kind of strip stripping of the surface to get extract helium three it's an isotope of helium right from mm -hmm. from ore um it, it seems to be cost ineffective even into the distant future even if you had the ability to physically clone and as it were mentally clone people because they're doing both right somehow or another they're doing both it seems to be a very expensive proposition. You've got hundreds of clones down there you're having to keep in suspended animation, and you have to activate one every three years. I, I think this is a th one thing I don't like about the film. It seems implausible. I think a corporation would just uh, offer people contracts they can't refuse uh, to work in these uh, mining facilities. Um, so... And it's definitely, you're right, it's a definitely a, a throwback to uh, another homage to Blade Runner. Um, so that's the implausibility. Now, some people might also say, the, the big implausibility for me, but some people might say there's another one in that they don't think it, uh, uh, human beings, corporations, would ever uh, approach this level of callousness and coldness toward what are uh, clearly persons. Um, clones, clone human beings are just as much human beings as clone sheep or sheep. Clone persons are just as much persons as anybody that comes about, as it were, by normal biological means. Um, so you may think it, it's pretty unrealistic to assume that uh, any large institution or corporation would uh, uh, use persons like this and have no qualms about it. Um, but what I would say is that of the two implausibilities, the one, the more the economic one, and this other one, the more moral one, I think the moral one's a little more plausible, actually, because if you look mm -hmm. back in history, um, human beings have been using other human beings as slaves for, yeah. for eons. And in, in, even in more recent history, you had uh, the Soviet Union essentially doing that same sort of thing. Nazi Germany essentially doing that same thing. Imperial Japan's essentially doing that same thing. And setting up, setting about not only doing that as nation states, but in cahoots with corporations, mm -hmm. their own corporations. And so you had, uh, with war crimes trials in Germany and Japan, 
uh, a lot of friction and a lot of anger and a lot of justifiable claims made against these corporate entities. So I actually think this aspect of this film is the most compelling one. Yeah, and once with the clone aspect, they can just easily say, well, it's not like we're killing an actual human being. We're just killing its clone. Yeah. They can just use that excuse and they're saying, well, he was only going to live three years anyway. So yeah. they can they can justify it to themselves that what they're doing isn't as bad as if they were doing it to a real human being. Exactly. And uh, it, from our point of view, kind of the, the audience's omniscient point of view, uh, you can see that that's not only deeply wrong, uh, deeply false. These guys are clearly persons, but it's also deeply wrong. But, you know, they've talked themselves into treating other human beings like this. And uh they they might be reassuring themselves because they do have a relatively short lifespan, maybe. Um, but, you know, getting back to the historical uh, precedents, um, people talk their, uh, the, themselves into, uh, nation states and corporations talk themselves into treating people like this based on alleged racial inferiority, right? So it's not entirely implausible. And... What really is troubling with it, from the, the point of view of that, that hypothetical uh, uh, corporation and the hypothetical people that have developed the technology, is that uh, at some level or another, they're unable to recognize or unable to admit to themselves or simply don't care about the fact that they are creating persons, full persons, and dooming them, dooming them to, one, isolation— that that's not an easy job we see sam bell hold not only isolation but that short lifespan uh with uh, a massive amount of deception going on uh, in terms of their family or his family put it that way and then a significant portion of that lifetime the last six months or so i think uh suffering a lot of misery and suffering as they degrade and deteriorate. He's losing teeth. I, that scene really bugged me. When he when he pulls out his tooth, he's losing his teeth and coughing up stuff. And it's just, just horrible. Again, you think, oh, that's implausible. That would never happen. Those same kinds of things happened in historical precedent. If you read uh, accounts of how Chinese and uh, POWs were treated by the Japanese in their labor camps, they broke down like this. They got berry, berry, dysentery, all kinds of diseases, teeth falling out, starving to death. Human beings do this. That's what's uh, very disquieting about this uh, movie. And the thing is that this corporation with its helium-3 mining is considered, we see the voiceover narration at the very beginning of the movie, is somewhat considered to have saved the Earth's energy crisis. So the big question is, now that he's escaped, we hear that he is testifying what does this mean for the Earth's energy crisis? Yeah. Because this corporation, if now that he's testifying, it feels pretty much that they're done. There's no way they can yeah. recover from something like this. Yep. And so what's going to happen to this helium-3 mining? If it stops, will we have another energy crisis? Will, will, whether it's global warming or whatever, climate change or whatever it's going on, are we going, this thing that we thought be saved, is it going to come back again? So yeah. it feels that, well, is this going to have dire consequences, not just for that corporation, but for humanity in general? Yeah, I, I, there's a hint 
I think in the film I'd have to watch it again, so don't take this one to the bank. I think there is a hint that there are competitors in the field um, for Serang, I believe, but I could be wrong about this. Uh, but, you know, it sure looks like it's imperative for the, uh, the Earth's um, governments to ensure that the production of helium-3 does not stop uh, because it allegedly has uh, put off Armageddon, you know, uh, uh, climatological Armageddon. Um, so it seems like they'll have to do that. Um, but then again, that kind of raises the question about the earlier history in this uh, universe. I mean, did they make some kind of a utilitarian calculation here? Uh, the governments. I mean, this is the really sinister reading of this yeah. thing, right? And and say, you know what, uh, we're, we'll we'll be capable of saving Earth if we kind of go along with this plan, work with this corporation. Uh, we're putting off um, uh, planet-wide catastrophe. Does that mean that uh, um, it, it seems like it's a small price to pay? They could argue for doing this to. Uh, have this bank of clones, this bank of persons that we're using as mere means to our own ends, uh, as slaves. That's essentially what they are, slaves. Um, but even worse than traditional slaves, they're being totally deceived about their status. Um, yeah, so that's that's a big concern. And I think they almost, you take advantage of the fact that this is a really almost like outrageous story of people doing this for so many years in this clone because we see with the news broadcast at the very end one of the radio guy radio jockeys is saying well he's either a nut job or an illegal immigrant yeah. so you have you're gonna have so they're thinking well even if by worst case scenario he gets out who's gonna believe him they're gonna think he's some weirdo right <laughs> so it's like they're taking advantage of you know, our cynicism yeah. and we're going to just throw them out anyway and disregard it because we think, oh, this is just too ridiculous to be true. It's just, he's just some wacko conspiracy theory. Yeah, that, that's great. And maybe that's, maybe that's the approach the, uh, the corporation could attempt to, to take here. Um, uh, but they disabled the jam communications jamming, right? So I, I think that the, the, the Sams and Gertie have made it possible for them to counter that, yeah, we don't. We obviously don't see the follow-on uh, events here, but uh, Sam, new Sam, he's probably got about two more years, closer to three years left in his lifespan. So he's he's got plenty of time to tell his story. Um, now I have a question that occurred to me watching this. So at the point where, uh, it's is is it old Sam that calls home once they. Disable yeah, the yeah. jamming. He, yeah. him, he sees his daughter. He sees his daughter. She's talking to dad off the camera and telling him, well, there's this person here asking for mom. Right? Mm -hmm. So dad is there. I'm assuming that's original Sam. Yeah. We don't know much about original Sam, but it seems to be that there are two possibilities. One, he was a knowing accomplice in all this. Two, and I hope this is the more plausible, he wasn't. You know, under the guise of checking up on him medically, you know, they extracted some cells from him and then yeah. built these clones. Um, now, that being the case, you know, original Sam has been back on Earth probably about 13 to 14 years. 
how can the corporation prevent him from becoming curious about the old job, the old base, and trying to make contact with somebody there? I think he'd be just curious. You would think he'd think, oh, you know, there's a colleague up there taking my position. Kind of like, you know, guys that leave military units, they, they, they typically either know pretty closely people that take their place, or at least they trained them up, right? So it seems to me he would get curious. And this is just entirely a speculative question, but I wonder what me measures the corporation would take to uh, prevent him from communicating with the base. I think it's just one of those things we don't, I think it, it, the question of that really has to be, well, how culpable is he? Because if he is in 100% knowing, of course he's not going to ever check or even care. No, no, that's, yeah, that's where I don't, I don't, I think he would care. If, because if that's my old job. That's my old unit, man. I mean, saying I, if he knew that they were cloning, though, sending out oh, clones. Okay. If he didn't know, right, I, yeah. I still think he'd, he'd want to kind of get in contact and just say, hey, what's going on up there? How are you guys doing? Right? So, yeah. but I th for, I, I th we, the thing is, we just don't know how culpable he was. Yeah. If he gave permission, be like, okay, fine. Yeah, you can clone me and yeah. have all those clones yeah. and do, all, do all what you need to do, then he wouldn't really care. But if. Right. You said they just took a bit of his hair or whatever and would make made a clone out of it. Yeah. Then, but maybe it would just be a corporation like, well, you know, we'll, we'll take care of it. You actually, we yeah. checked; they're doing okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So the reason I ask that question is because it seems like he hasn't done this for thirteen years. There's no indication in the story he has even reached out. Yeah. So that gives a little more plausibility to the culpability hypothesis with him. Right now, okay. If that's the case, it, it it leads you to ask a question: Would anybody be willing to have a clone created of themselves that not only is physically like them, but emotionally and in terms of memory, a copy of that person, and willingly? allow them to be subjected to this brief lifespan, isolation, and whole-scale deception. Would anybody ever it do would that? probably come down to money, I'm thinking. You think if, so? If, if it's a big corporation, they probably can write a big, nice check for them. And if it's just something he can't say no to, and it's like, well, it's just clones. It's, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not like they're going to ever harm anybody or anything. So I'll, I'm okay with it. Just sign me that million dollar check. And okay. I'll so okay. now he tells his wife, you know what? I just, uh, I just agreed to this. I imagine she'd say something like you're condemning or he, what, you're condemning he a, a, another human being that happens to be very similar to you to this they life. Probably the corporation would probably say, look, this is just between you and us. You can't share this with anybody, even yeah. your wife. Yeah. And he'll just be like, hey, I got this million dollar check, but it's for top secret hush hush stuff, so I can't discuss it. Man. And then, all right, getting close to my questions here. Is there anything else we haven't discussed that you want to bring up now? And the only other thing I, I, I'd just like to maybe close with is I, I really do like the fact that he's kind of thrown back to and paid homage to a lot of earlier science fiction films. I, I, the thing that impresses me the most is the way they did the special effects. Apparently, he uh, 
went to great pains to do it on as low a budget as possible and without any kind of C, uh, CGI used. So he's he's going back to using models. And it just reminds me of Doug Trumbull in 2001 and how well they did that job there. And there, there there's even to the point that there are light artifacts from the lens that are similar to ones you see in 2001. I believe they're called sprites. I do not recall. But you can you can see the refraction of lights across the screen from the lens as they're shooting these models. Something that uh, doesn't exist, obviously, in a CGI, as it were, universe, because you're not really shooting anything. It's just all computer programming and stuff. I really like that. I wish more films would do that and not rely so much on CGI. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to other podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds. For each episode, I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found at thesoundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies. Thank you.